Welcome to the weekly podcast of Wildwood Baptist Church in Ackworth, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. We're so glad that you're joining us today. If you'd like to know more about Wildwood Baptist Church, you can find us on the web at wildwoodbaptist.org, or you can email us at info at wildwoodbaptist.org. Thanks for joining us. Let's open the Word of God together. I think the average person thinks about the Bible as a history book, don't we? We, we imagine that the things that we read in there list events that have already happened and report. And, and by the way, it is. It's a, it's a great piece of history. But did you know that a quarter of the Bible is actually prophetic? It speaks of things yet to come. A quarter. Three quarters are historical, but a quarter is about what lies ahead. And one of the most popular topics in the Bible is Jesus' second coming. Over 1,800 verses address the second coming of Jesus Christ in both the Old and New Testament. In just the 260 chapters of the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus Christ is written about in 318 different times throughout the New Testament. Now, why is so much focus placed upon the return of Jesus Christ? Here's why I believe that uh, we read so much about that. It's so that we will be prepared for his return. Now, many people will argue, wait a minute, don't get into this. These are the things that we have to do. These are the people we have to be. These are the things that we have to say. That's a works-oriented salvation. And I want to make this very, very clear before we begin this morning. I do not believe anyone is ever saved by the things that they do. You can't earn it. You can't, your good behavior is not going to get you into heaven. Even your obedience to Jesus Christ will never allow you to uh, enter heaven and be with the Lord. It is by his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that we are saved. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So let me be very, very clear. However, the Bible does clearly indicate that you and I are to be doing things in preparation for the Lord's return. Now, why is that so important? Because many of us are either not aware of the things that we're supposed to be doing, or we don't see enough participation in those things to warrant our interest and involvement. So uh, I, I love Pastor uh, D.L. Moody. He, he was, he's one of my favorite evangelists. And uh, they asked him this question. They said, hey, D.L., if you knew that the Lord was returning tonight, how would you live your life today? And you know, D.L. Moody said, listen, I, I wouldn't live it any differently from how I live it every day. I live every day as if that may be the day that the Lord returns. I love that answer. In fact, let's go ahead and make this our first bullet point in regards to how believers are to live. Believers should be living as if Jesus could return any moment. There's a passage of scripture that identify uh, things that are called the signs of the times. And what that reference is, is, is made toward the indications that the Lord's return it will be soon. That, that it's imminent. Uh, the passage of scripture that I'm referring to is found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 8 and 9. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story that I heard. There was a pastor who was waiting in a long line 
to uh, fill his gas tank at the gas station. And um, it was long because it was a long holiday weekend. Everyone was there filling up. So once he got through the line, he went in and the attendant recognized him. And he said, oh, pastor, sorry that you had to wait so long in line. And he said, can I just tell you something? People are notorious for waiting till the last moment for a long trip ahead. And the pastor looked at the attendant and smiled and said, listen, I know that's true in my business as well. Over the last four weeks, we've talked about the journey that you will begin, that the Lord will begin by calling all who are his to be with him. At that point of time, there will be no believers on the earth. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. You want to be among those who go to be with the Lord because the next seven years will be the worst seven years in all of history. There is never, think about how terrible times have been. Nothing will compare to the time of tribulation. That's why this is so important. The Lord is patiently waiting for you and I to determine and decide what we believe about Jesus Christ before he returns. And we'll get to that in a moment as well. Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. This is the chapter that talks about the signs of the times. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Pay attention to what Jesus says will be indications, birth pains of his second coming. Verse 4 begins with this. Uh, As he I'm sorry, let's use verses 3 through 9. My apologies. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8 warns us, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now that passage begins by Jesus warning us that we are not to let anyone lead us astray. And do you recognize the fact that you are one click away on your computer or your tablet or your phone to a supposed expert in a topic of what is going to happen in the future or maybe what you're supposed to be doing now? There are tens of thousands of people who are giving you advice or recommendations about the things that will lead you to experiencing a better life in the here and now. Can I just tell you this very, very quickly? The Bible warns us that there will be many false prophets. A false prophet, according to the Bible, is anyone who shares any information that contradicts the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God guides and leads us in the way that God himself would have us to go, both as our Creator as well as our Lord. The Word of God is divinely inspired. It is accurate. It's useful for building up and reproof. It's valuable to us, especially as believers. So anything that is recommended outside of the Word of God, especially if those things are contrary or contradictory to the Word of God, should never be held in high esteem, much less practice in our daily lives. And yet it's done all the time. 
When we read in that particular passage about people who will claim to be Christ, some theologians believe it's a reference to people who say that they are like Christ, not just the Christ, but like Christ or Christ-like. They claim to be Christians. They claim to be teaching and telling you the things that we are to do based upon their stance of being a Christian person. And yet again, if it contradicts the word of God, it misleads us. It leads us astray, as we read in Scripture. Wars and rumors of wars have become so commonplace, you and I don't even think about them much anymore. When was the last time you heard an update on the war in Ukraine? And yet that war has been fought uh, very violently over the last year and a half. Do you know that war was actually uh, cast upon America, the United States, in 2001 when we were attacked by people who did, who committed an act of war. We refer to it now as 9-11. In the last 10 years, there have been documented, documented eight official wars in 10 years. Officially documented, these are wars, and many, many other conflicts. So when we read in Scripture in verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Make no mistake, it is happening now. Nations are rising against nations at an unprecedented pace. Famines and earthquakes are also on the rise. The increase in food prices has caused many nations to suffer great consequences and problems with food deprivation. Hunger has escalated in the last three years, according to the World Food Program. Listen to what they're quoted as saying. The scale of the current global hunger and malnutrition crisis is enormous. More than 345 million people face high levels of food insecurity in 2023. Watch this. That is more than double the number in just 2020, which at that time was 250 people who were food deprived. And those statistics, again, are accurately portrayed by the World Food Program. This consists of a staggering increase of 200 million people who weren't food deprived just three years ago, but are now. You probably heard about the deadly earthquake that hit Morocco last Friday. It registered a 6.8 on its magnitude scale, and it killed more than 2,000 people. It injured 1,400 others. Those numbers continue to go up, and that entire area was decimated and destroyed. And there's a current website that is updating the incredible increase in earthquakes over the years. In fact, did you know that in 2018, there was one particular week where 208 earthquakes were recorded in just one week? And yet the average person is unaware of the incredible increase of earthquakes that's happening in the world today. So when Jesus says in verses 7 and 8 that there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all of these things are the beginning of birth pains. Know that these are visible signs of his physical second coming. He's talking about four things. He's talking about an increase in false prophets, wars, famine, and earthquakes, all of which we have seen an incredibly significant increase and rise in those four things, those four categories. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say in verses 9 through 14. I know we read 9 a moment ago. Pay close attention to what he says again. 
Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Stop there for a moment. He's referring to a time of tribulation, which will follow the Lord's call, the rapture of those who believe. But he's also referring to signs that will lead to that particular thing. You see, the signs of tribulation will be tribulation. There will be hard things happening at an increasing rate before tribulation actually happens. There's an escalation of those hard times that the Bible speaks of. So let's read on. Verse 10. And then many will fall away or stumble and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let me put this all together for you as as carefully as I can. Here's what I believe Jesus is referring to. There will come a time when Jesus calls all who believe to go to be with him again. There will be only unbelievers on this earth, and yet there will be some unbelievers. The Bible talks about a number of people who will recognize exactly where they've gone. They will recognize the fact that these are believers, and that was the rapture, and we missed that first call. And there will be many who will turn their hearts and their lives over to the Lord. The Bible talks about 144,000 that will lead that, that, that time of salvation. Note this, that 144,000, they were not saved when the Lord called upon those who believe in him during the time of rapture. So there will be an increased number of people who will be saved despite the rampant persecution, even martyrdom, that will occur because of their faith in Jesus Christ during that time. But that's happening today. There's a huge rise in persecution of Christianity throughout the world. In fact, right now, statistics show us that 600 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. You and I are not familiar with that. We're unaware of that because this morning, you and I worship the Lord freely here at Wildwood. But many in other nations in faraway places, even some that are fairly close to us, they are are aware of the fact that at any time someone could come in and persecute them, imprison them, and potentially kill them because of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The 20th century saw more than 45 million Christians die because of their faith in Jesus Christ, which is more than all of the first 19 centuries before the 20th which was only 250 or 25 million who, uh, who had died during that time. See, we're not aware of this because we're not enduring this, but many are. Added to that, let me just ask you, has there ever been a time when there's been more dissension, more division, more hatred between people? Families currently are being divided by different opinions of religion, different political positions, even positions with with race and retaliation. Crime has been on the upswing for years, and as a result, love for others is definitely growing cold in our age today. And yet, watch this, with all of that said, you know there's been a huge advancement of evangelism? In 1800, only or, or in 1800, 75% of the world was considered unevangelized. They had not been reached with the name of Jesus Christ and the truth about Jesus Christ, the gospel. 
that number decreased in 1900 to 55%. Only 55% of the world in 1900 was unevangelized. Do you know by the year 2000, it was reduced to 28% of the world? And there's been a rampant decrease in that number over the last several years as well. You see, that's what Jesus is referring to in Luke when he tells us that evangelism is going to escalate when all these signs of the time escalate as well. The truth of the matter is there are many who are being reached with the name of Jesus Christ before it's too late. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because, again, there are going to be those of us who wonder, well, what is he waiting for? If all these signs are are indicating his return, then what's stopping him from coming? Let me just answer that question succinctly by saying maybe it's you. Maybe you're not ready for his return. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. But the Lord is waiting patiently for all to have an opportunity to believe before he returns. That's what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, the Lord is patiently waiting for the right time, at the right moment, for his return to happen, because then Everything changes from that point forward. Listen, there will be no going back to the way it was when that happens. Every believer will leave, and those who are here, many will believe, but they will be greatly persecuted during that time. It will be the hardest time in all of history. I've said that before, but it bears repeating. And the truth of the matter is there's going to be seven long years of that before the Lord returns. Things get much better then. Because the Lord comes, rules, reigns, defeats in the final battle of Armageddon and leads the world in a time of peace for a thousand years. I can't even fathom a thousand years. I'm crowding a hundred years now and it seems like a long time to me. Can you imagine a thousand years of peace? Well, that's the promise of the Lord after those seven years of tumultuous tribulation. At the end of that time, final judgment is cast and the Lord destroys the current earth and the current heavens. We'll see that in a moment. And then he makes a new earth and he makes new heavens as our forever dwelling place. Peter continues in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, when he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now look at that word exposed. In some translations, I believe they're better and more accurately translated, it says will be burned up. So let's read that again. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be burned up. Here's the point. So many of us spend so much time in our lives focused on the temporary. We've got to have this. We've got to do that. We have the right to experience all of these other things that really, quite frankly, have little or nothing to do with eternity. Now, I'm not going to name any specific things. I have them in my mind, but I don't want to attack you. I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to point fingers at anybody. Honestly, I'm extremely convicted about the way I've lived and and in some ways continue to live my life. What Peter is explaining is that the eternal is far more better of a way to focus our lives 
than the temporary. And that the things that we should be doing in our current lives should always be considered in the scope of eternity, not in just the time that we have uh, in earth as well. There's not a single material thing that you have that you're going to take with you into eternity. Only those who believe carry over everything else is made perfectly new. So watch what Peter says we should be focused on doing in verses 11 through 13. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here's what Peter is saying, essentially. It's your second bullet point. Believers should be living holy and godly lives that point others to salvation. That's eternal. That's where our focus is understanding I'm not taking a single thing that I buy, that I even manage, no money, my bank account, none of those things are going to matter in eternity. Only the lives that I invest in. Only the time that I spend sharing the truth about Jesus Christ with others and showing them the love that God has shown me through the salvation that I've received. There is one thing that you will never do in heaven that you must be doing here, and that is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Because there's going to come a time where that will no longer be needed. When you and I are called to be with the Lord, look around, every single one of us believe in Jesus. There will be absolutely no need for evangelism. You don't have to ask someone what they believe about God or where they go to church or what they believe about Jesus Christ. Everyone will believe the same thing. We've trusted in him. That's why we're here. That's why it's so important for us to do those things now while we still can. We should be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others and we should be loving others the way that God loves them. We not only share the truth about Jesus, we show them the love of Jesus by the way that we act. We're, we're also waiting, we're, we're hastening, the Bible just told us, the coming of the day of the Lord, which means we live every day in anticipation of his return. So we don't just hang on to things that are here today, but gone tomorrow. In fact, do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21? He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in, break in and steal. Here's why. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You, you see, what you treasure most is where your heart will be. And you've got a little bit of a challenge between treasuring things that are here or treasuring things that are there because not everything here goes there. And that's why we must be warned. Our hearts should be turned towards heaven and the new earth and our eternal, not the temporary. The only thing that you will ever take into eternity from this place are other people. But we spend a lot of time accumulating stuff that perish. There's another passage that Jesus kind of gives us our, our, our marching orders. And I, you've heard me say this before. Anytime someone is sharing something as kind of their last words for you before they pass, 
If you love that person, you're going to pay very close attention to what they have to say. Well, before Jesus ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God, he shares these words for those who believe and trust in him. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Jesus just clearly told us what we are to do. And he adds how we are to do it. He promises that he will always be with us to empower us to do it. It's very similar to what we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we're told by the Lord, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When I read that word, go and make disciples, I think in my mind, I can't make anybody anything. I don't have that kind of power. I don't have that kind of sway. People aren't going to be made into something that I want them to be made into. That's exactly right. We can't. God can. God empowers us. He he lives within us so that his power works through us to draw people to himself and believe. We're the messengers. We're, We're the people who are sharing the truth about who he is and what he's done in our lives. So here's the point, third bullet point on your outline. Believers make disciples by sharing the truth and love about Jesus with others. That is the primary reason you've been given the Holy Spirit. The problem is we don't actually have the time to squeeze all of that into our already busy schedules. I hear people all the time tell me how overwhelmed they are by their schedules. And I want to ask them, who's making your schedule? Are you making the schedule or are you just doing what people are telling you to do to fill the time that you've been given on this earth? Maybe you're listening to the wrong people. Maybe there should be time to listen to the Lord. What would happen if you and I got up every morning and we said, is today the day? Are you coming back today? Lord, what is it that you would have me to do before you get here? Because that's the most important thing for me to do today. You have to go to work. Students, you have to go to school. We have to pay our bills. We have to fulfill our commitments. We should be investing in other people's lives. All of those things are important. But how often do you and I seek the Lord for what he would have us to do day by day? on a regular basis. Maybe that would be a life-changing experience if every day, starting tomorrow morning, we wake up and we say, Lord, is today the day? Are you coming back today? What is it that you would have me to do today that honors and glorifies you the most? You know, it's interesting that the Bible clearly identifies people who thought they knew Jesus, who thought they served him, who thought they were doing the right things. They actually later find out that they didn't. And I want you to take note in this passage that the word many is used. It's Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. The Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
When you read that, don't you think in your head, how fair is that? They were doing things for you. They were doing things according to your will. No, they weren't. They were doing things according to what they thought were good, but they weren't God things. They weren't things that God was leading them as individuals to do that will honor and glorify God best by the way that he's made them, by the gifts that he's given them, by the places and the people that they will encounter as he leads them there. We don't just go around doing good things. We seek to do God things according to his will and his plan and his purpose for our lives. That's what the Lord is indicating here. Many don't actually know Christ. Could that possibly mean that many aren't following him either? Do you remember what evidence the Lord gave us to prove that we hadn't experienced changed life? Do you remember what he said? Listen to what he says in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. He says, For those who do believe in me, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. You see, that passage goes on to say that those who didn't do those things, they didn't do those things because they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They hadn't experienced that life-changing event of salvation that involved the impartation of the Holy Spirit empowering them to identify the things that God would have them to do, the way that he would have them to live, the way that their lives were meant to be spent according to the blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary that bought them, that purchased them for the Lord. You see, this passage is very clear about the indication that many get to do what they want to do, what they think is good, rather than what God is leading them to do. And it's important to know the difference between the two. Here, Notice what he says to those who didn't do those things. Matthew 25, verses 41, and then we'll jump to 46. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Which do we want to be? Obviously those who enter into eternal life. If we had to say what one thing, you know, Lord, if there's one thing that is a must, this, this isn't a maybe, this isn't a should, this, this isn't an option. What's the one thing that you command us to do? I think the answer would be the number one commandment. When the Lord was asked about that, this is what he says in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. The second commandment, the greatest commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. See, the world has told us we must love ourselves first in order to love others well. That is contrary to what we just read. Your fourth bullet point is this. Believers should be focused on loving God and others even more than we do ourselves. Jesus tells us that his return will be like a thief in the night. 
And we will be caught unprepared if we're not living lives that point people to God based upon the love that he has for us, fills us with, and then intends to be shared with others. So what are we to do next? Well, we are to be ready. We are to be prepared. Where in the Bible does it tell us how to do that? Luke 12, verses 35 through 40. Here's what the Lord says. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, he's talking about night or day here, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Let's unpack all of what we just read. First of all, being dressed and ready for action means that you need to be prepared to be called by the Lord at any time. His return could happen at any moment. To keep your lamps burning means that we are to walk with the light of Christ shining everywhere that we go. We promote who Christ is by our Christ-likeness as the Lord shines from within his glory. Matthew 5.16 tells us the same thing. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the first thing that we see in this particular passage in Luke 12.35-40 is this. Believers should be shining the light of Christ in dark places. You know, in biblical times, they would shine light in dark places by carrying a, a lamp with them. And they would carry extra oil and extra wicks to be ready anytime they entered darkness. Well, the same is true of you and I. We, we carry the light of Christ from within us so that when we enter the room, we enter as light and darkness is dispelled by the light of Christ. So we illuminate people's minds and hearts to the truth of who Jesus is by his presence in our very lives. Jesus tells us that we are his bride. And it's interesting to note that during the, the Jewish wedding festival, that the greatest anticipated moment is for the groom to arrive. Like everyone's waiting for the groom to arrive because when the groom arrives to take his bride to marriage, that's when the real party begins. Well, the same is true for you and I. We live every day hastening, watching, and waiting for the Lord's return. In fact, let's make that our sixth bullet point. Believers should be watching and waiting for Christ's call and return on an ongoing basis, right? On a day-by-day -day basis. Our, our translations say that his servants are to be awake. But you know, most translations say awake and watching, for his return. None of us should ever be caught by surprise, even though we don't know when the Lord will return. Believers are to be prepared and ready to go with him. Well, what exactly does that mean? We should live our lives in, in a way that will be honoring and glorifying to Christ, right? We, we don't need to be embarrassing ourselves or the Lord by our actions. Here's what that means. Let's not live sinful, slothful, or even selfishly in the time that we have on this earth. Let's care more about the Lord and others than we do ourselves. No matter what hour he returns, morning, afternoon, evening, 
Let's be aware of the fact that it could be any moment and be prepared for that as well. Let's go back to our text, Luke 12. When the Lord tells his disciples to be watching and ready, one of the most popular questions throughout scripture is, is this information for the people who were with Jesus at that time or is this for all time? And all believers. So Peter goes to him and he goes, is this for us or is this for them and everybody else? Watch how the Lord answers in Luke 12, verses 42 through 48. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Peter, he's asking Peter, who do you think I'm talking to? Who's going to be faithful in managing the time that I've given them so that they will be well fed when I call them to be with me. He goes on to say in verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. That's an indication of punishment. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. That is an indication of those who maybe were not evangelism, evangelized. They didn't know the truth. They're still suffering uh, the, the, uh, the plight of bearing their sin. Their sin has not been forgiven. They still receive a beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Folks, we have been given so much. This morning, as we studied scripture together, the Lord has clearly and concisely told us the lives that we're to be leading in his honor and his glory. Now, let me be the first to admit I do not do all these things all the time. I fail often at living this kind of life. But the amazing thing that's happened in my journey, and I bet it's happened in yours as well, is I'm more aware of it today than I've ever been before. I'm more aware of my sin today and convicted by it than I was when I was first saved and ran out of that pew and ran forward because I did not want to enter hell and the fires of hell. Today, I'm more aware of my sin. You know why? Because I can see them through God's eyes. I identify what the word of God has told me is sin in a much better way than I ever did before I believed in Jesus. I didn't know God's word. I didn't have the conviction of sin. The power of the Holy Spirit wasn't at work within me back then but it is now. So I want to make this clear. I fail on a regular basis. I bet you do too. But that's not a reason or an excuse not to live our lives for Christ. And this process of sanctification, I want to talk about this in a future um, sermon series. There's this wonderful time where justification happens and we're justified by Christ. And then we enter this long journey of sanctification, of becoming like Christ, until we hit the point of glorification, when our bodies are made perfect and we recognize Jesus for who he truly is. We're in the process of sanctification right now. We are becoming like Christ, and we're all on different legs of our journey, but we're all on the same journey. We're all becoming like Christ. 
So the important thing that we learn here is that we are to be doing things the Lord is telling us to do. And we will be the faithful and, and wise managers of the lives that he's given us. In fact, when he talks about he will cut him into pieces, sometimes that passage is, is translated to mean severely scourge him. Folks, that's just final judgment for those who do not know Christ. So here's the final point being made in our text today. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. That's why believers are in training for their future roles in heaven. This life is not the life that God intended for us to live. It was ruined and ravaged by sin. So we are being trained to become the people of God that he will empower us to become when he calls us to be with him. And then whatever we're participating in with him now, that will carry over to the responsibility and the rewards that he has for us later. That's what God's word teaches. So I'm going to invite Pastor Steve and members of our praise team to join me on stage. And, and I want you to very carefully consider what we've learned today. Here's why this is so important. We've been taught from the word of God what God desires for every believer to do, the way he desires for us to live until the Lord returns. You and I can't leave here today. Maybe you've ignored me. Maybe you weren't listening. I guess you would have a little bit of of uh, variance there but for the most part you have been told at the very least what God's word says about the way that we're to live our lives I don't know about you but I'm extremely convicted and uh, I'll tell you a quick story um, when I gave my outline to my administrative assistant Marion uh, Marion gave it back to me after she put it on pro presenter and she said oh and I said what and she said this this is not good news and I said, Marion, this is really good news. This is, this, this, these are God's instructions for the way that we're to live our lives until he returns. And she says, it's not good news for many. And she made this comment. She said, I don't think many people are living for these things. Now, she's been a Christian for a long time. Marion has the right to say, I haven't seen that in many people's lives. And maybe we haven't either. In fact, maybe you and I haven't lived this way, doing these things very often in our lives. Today could be a turning point. Today could be a time of commitment. Lord, I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to be a good dad and father and husband and uncle and grandfather and teacher. I'm going to do all the things that I'm committed to do. But Lord, today, I commit to live for you every day that you give me until you call me to be with you. What if we were to do that? What if the Lord is speaking to some, maybe many, according to Marion, who haven't done these things, who now know to do these things, and we simply ask the Lord to lead us to do those things by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this, you will never be able to do those things without the Holy Spirit. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and acknowledged the fact that he died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, you will not be able to live this life. You don't have the power to live this life. So you have to first surrender your life to him. 
Lord, you take me, forgive me based upon what Christ did on the cross at Calvary and live in me so that I can be the people, the person that you call me to be in this, these passages. And then watch how the Lord changes you and convicts you and empowers you to be the people of God that he's calling you to be. So let's stand and let's uh, make this a time of commitment and a time of praise. As this team leads us in praise and worship, deacons are coming forward. They're going to be available on my left and right. If you want someone to pray with, they would be honored to pray with you. This altar is open if you feel led to kneel before the Lord out of honor and respect for who he is and what he's told you to do today. But let's not leave this morning without not acknowledging the fact that you have been, you've been told the truth. And when we get to heaven, depending on which judgment we stand in, we will not be permitted to say, I had no idea. I had no idea this is what you wanted from me. You know what he's going to say? Don't you remember September 10th? I do. Right from the word of God, you were told what you were supposed to do. Let's not make that a negative time. Let's make that a glorious time where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Wait till you see what I have in store for you. Father, lead us to see clearly what it is that you would have us to do next according to your word and according to the power of the Holy Spirit that's now working both within and around every person in this room, within those who believe, around those who you desire to follow you. Convict us, change us, and mold us and shape us in the time that we have left together to be more like you so that when we leave here, we do the things that you lead us to do for your honor and for your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads you as we sing this last song of praise together. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Wildwood Baptist Church. We hope that today's message was an encouragement to you. For more information, you can find us at wildwoodbaptist.org, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Wildwood Ackworth on the web and on social media. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you.